On today's episode, Mareka Lowe's three injury prevention domains. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. the name rings a bell. Mareka was on episode 33 of the Run Smarter podcast all the way back at the start. And at the moment, she has a new app for runners to explore, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, we actually did a little bit of a collab. I just appeared on her YouTube channel talking about knee pain. And it was a good crossover because with this app appealing to runners, best to get her on, discuss it. But in the meantime, while I have her on, just to share some insights on injury prevention. And so for the app, I'll leave the links in the show notes. Um, but Mareka said that she'll share her three main domains that she considers crucial to injury prevention. We talk about the warm up, we talk about strength training, and we talk about training schedule or recovery. And so we do vary in opinions sometimes throughout the conversation, which I just think led to more of an engaging conversation. We're sort of piecing ideas together and sharing each other's opinions and sort of the rationale behind it. So have a listen to the episode, then go check out her app and hope you enjoy. Mareka, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I had to look it up. Our first episode was episode 33 and it was titled uh, Why Your Hamstring Tendinopathy Isn't Getting Better. And it was back in April 2020, so quite a while ago. Um, what's been happening? What have you been up to since? Yes, so been quite busy actually. Um, shortly after we spoke, I think, yes, must have been shortly after we spoke that I teamed up with a um, German tech company and we created a physiotherapy app. Um, the challenge was to see if we can make an app that can think like a physio and adjust your program for you like a physio would. Um, and it seems we're managing to get there. Excellent. Well, you know, as a physio myself and working with a ton of runners, a lot of things that I do is, I guess, following a certain plan, following a certain routine. And um, a lot of it, I guess, can be automated in a way. Um, so where are you in the in the app, I guess, development process? And how many people have you reached so far? Um, well, I think the figures at the moment for our monthly active users is somewhere between three and 4,000 people. Um, but right. yes, it's an interesting process because it's, it's about how do you decide what exercises you prescribe for somebody and how do you decide when to make them harder, when to make them easier. If you think about it, there are c certain things that you ask, but it's funny that when you sit and try to nail those things down, how many questions there are that you actually have to keep mm. in mind with it. Um, so yes, it's been quite a challenge to get this going, but we're at the stage where we've got roughly I think it's now I've just finished the 10th treatment plan for the 10th type of injury. Um, and we've also got an injury prevention plan in the app. And it seems to be working. It's, it's, I'm going to sound very funny now, but I'm still surprised when it works because it's such a new <laughs> thing that it's kind of like when online physiotherapy wasn't a thing, that every patient you got better, you kind of went, how did I get him better without touching him? Whereas now mm. you're just used to it. Yeah. Well, you're speaking my language as an online physiotherapist that doesn't really um, do much hands-on practice these days. Uh, when we were chatting about the app and you developing this injury prevention stuff, um, I thought it'd be a good idea to talk about injury prevention. And you've come up with three areas um, 
And the first one being uh, a warm-up process. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the ideas behind a warm-up and how it can benefit runners when it comes to preventing injury. Yes. So I have to say here that with regards to warm-ups, we all know if you're a runner, you know that very likely your warm-up for easy run is to just start very slowly. <laughs> and I'll be honest, a lot of the time that's my, my warm-up as well. But actually there are a lot of benefits to doing proper warm-ups and they do have a place for injury prevention. Now, if we look at the research in other types of sports, so most of the research started obviously in football again because football is where all the money is. Um, they've really nailed it now that they can say for you exactly what type of warm-up actually prevents injuries for football. And they've taken that same, let's call it a, a recipe and applied it to several different sports. Now, rugby is my thing that I really love. And there were surprising results in rugby when they tested this on some of the high level um, adolescent teams. They even found that it was preventing surprise injuries like concussions, which they thought they're going to see fewer muscle sprains or strains and suddenly they're seeing fewer concussions. So it showed that there was a true value in the warm-up, but it had to tick specific boxes. Now, my gut feel, and probably, well, it's more than a gut feel, if you think about running, I don't think for all types of running that the warm-up has to be as involved as it would be for a sport like football or rugby, but there are definitely certain benefits to it. And let's just, if we think about warm-ups, we tend to think about your muscles get warmer and you move a little bit easier. Now, that's all true. Your joints get lubricated, they, they become, I always forget the English word for it, but basically they, they just, the lubricant in them becomes more lubricating. <laughs> and, um, the soft tissue becomes more pliable, but the bit that's really interesting and that we tend to forget about is actually that a proper warm-up wakes up your nervous system. Now your nervous system is in charge of everything in the body. You can have the strongest muscles in the world, but if your nerves that supplies those muscles have gone to sleep, they can't really do much or they're not going to give you a coordinated movement. Now, there are certain circumstances that will put these muscles or the nerves to sleep a little bit. And it's basically how this works is our bodies want to conserve energy. So it's never going to waste energy to keep nerve endings at high alert if you're not using those things. So for instance, say for instance, if you look at my schedule, I sleep, then I get up, I'm best in the morning with concentration first thing in the morning. So I first sit and work a few hours and then I'll exercise. So now I've slept the whole night, done nothing to wake the nervous system up. I've now sat on my bottom for two hours. So I've properly killed off the nerves or not killed them off, just put them to sleep, my hamstrings and my glutes. And now I want to go run. So if I now start to run, everything's going to be a bit sluggish and probably my hip flexors aren't going to let my legs even go further far enough back because I've sat for so long. But I can tell you from experience, if I do a simple warm up where I just go through my ranges of motion and just do a few bridges and things to wake them up, I feel so much better when I get running rather than just up and go. You just mentioned that the type of exercise or the type of runners or different types of running might be more suited for a different type of warm-up. So do you have a guidance around what sort of exercises or what sort of warm-up routine might be good for different type of running workouts? Yes, so absolutely. I mean, what you have to do for easy run is totally different from what you have to do for a fast or a hard running session, or even if you want to go run on really uneven terrain. So if we think of the nervous system and how alert this nervous system has to be. If you're doing an easy plod on a dirt road, it can easily be on autopilot. It doesn't have to be that alert. However, if you want to do a fast sprint session, then those muscles have to contract really fast and forcefully and well coordinated. So then your warm up has to mimic what you're going to actually have to do in the sport. So you always start with easy movements and just getting the whole mobility. But if you're going to go for fast running session, you then also have to include plyometric type exercises in your warm up that actually get the muscles ready for the type of contraction they're going to have to deal with in a minute. And also, if we think of trail running and being on uneven ground, you definitely want to do 
faster, quicker movements as part of your warm-up then because you want everything to be on high, high alert before you go out. My past understanding of warm-ups and when it comes to like recreational running and easy running, I sort of was aware of research looking at warm-ups, plyometrics and like stretches and things to reduce risk of injury. Um, and there's some like good systematic reviews looking at reducing that risk and sort of getting you primed for exercise. Um, but in that robust research, I showed it, they didn't actually include any runners. It was like you said, a lot of research into sports, um, team sports, something with like explosive movements. And the, the consensus that I was reading was, yes, it does help with reducing risk of injury, but only if it had some sort of explosive component in that involvement, like the sprinting, changing direction, um, all those, I guess, the vast majority of uh, team sports that are out there. Um, but what you're suggesting is, okay, even for easy running, there may still be some benefit with firing up the nervous system beforehand. Um, I probably wouldn't use go to sleep. I think that's um, might be a bit, I don't know, fearful for a lot of runners to try and like wake up their nervous system, but firing, I guess you could say. Um, is there much of a, I guess, time frame or like how long it takes for you to engage that nervous system to, to do a couple of movement exercises and then feel like you're primed for even just easy running? I would, okay, so there's a there's a few things here. That One, I think it depends on what you've been doing in the day as well, how much you need it. So if you've mm -hmm. been up and around and going up and down things and doing stuff, you probably don't need much of a warm-up for your easy run because you'll already be warm. Um, but if, like me, you sit for a long period of time before you go out, then that's when I would put some effort in. It's not a lot, to be honest. It's basically my routine that I do that I can feel makes a difference for myself is I do 10 free squats, um, do some roll downs, 10 free squats, and then I do some isometric bridges. I think I do about then five or six single leg high bridges on each side. And I do some calf pumps and then I go and I can feel everything is just moving smoother. And to be honest, if you're not that fit and you do too many active exercises, you're going to end up making yourself tired as well. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's, it's about finding what works for you and the circumstances under which you have to do it. But I will always also say that I am now 43 years old this year. And I can tell you that up until five years ago, I don't think I even thought about a warm up for my easy runs. But definitely as I'm getting older, and after 14, I know it's a cliche, I can feel the difference in my body if I don't do it. So I don't know if there's there's a part to that as well. Yeah, I think we can be in agreement with that because one thing you did mention was you've tried these things and you feel better when you run or you know do an exercise. You've, I guess, tried doing a certain activity or going for a run without these warm-up routines and you feel worse off as to compared to when you do these warm-up routines. And I think that's something to be said for a lot of runners. Um, a lot of runners have different routines, different rituals. Some like to do foam rolling, some like to do stretches, some like to do more of a dynamic plyometric stuff. And where I like to sit with it is try different things, try a whole bunch of different routines and whatever sort of suits you, uh, would probably like if you feel better when you start running, it's probably best for you. It depends how long that lasts for and how much profound, how profound that difference is, but trial and error is required. And I guess having, knowing the different types of routines, which I guess um, your information would provide, like give you certain exercises to at least you might not even have thought about and then give them a go and say, Hey, you know what? I feel a lot better. And again, like you said, depends what you're doing beforehand. It depends if you've just woken up. I'm there with you it, that, you know what? It's not rocket science. You do not need a perfect routine. You literally just need, I love that you said you need what works for you because honestly, that that's all you need. Mm. And I think uh, the type of workout matters as well, like myself included. I know when I have a really easy run and I'm talking like a five thirty six minute pace, flat, just do four or five K, I hardly do anything. I walk, I get out of bed, I get dressed, I move, walk down my stairs and then I just start off really slow and get into it. But 
I've tried doing some mobility work and stretches beforehand. I feel exactly the same, but when it comes to uh, like strides or a interval session or hills and that sort of stuff, I actually feel so much better doing hip ankle mobility stuff beforehand um, before getting into it. And that's just what I've just learned through trial and error and everyone's different. So I'm glad we sort of agree when it comes to those terms. Yeah, no, absolutely. And for me, the, the clearest place where I've seen the difference a warm-up can make, and this is now away from running again, is in the gym. If I go through the trouble of actually doing some low-loaded squats before I go into high-loaded squats, before I then go into proper high-loaded squats, I'm just so much stronger and I can actually do so much more. Whereas if I just jump mm. into it, then it's like that first set, I want to kill myself. And then the next one, you feel, okay, no, now I can work on it. Yeah. The Anything else we want to touch on when it comes to the warm-up before we go into um, the second item for today, which is strength training? Um, I think my only thing that I will say to that is if something doesn't feel right before you run, you know, sometimes something just feels tight or uncomfortable and you think, ah, I should stretch that, but I'm not in the mood. Just take some time to sort it out before you get going because... I've had quite a few people report to me, ah, yeah, I felt it before I went and I just didn't do anything about it and then it turned into a proper thing. So usually mm. that is the time that I would say put some time into an effort into something that isn't feeling right to see if you can sort it out before you start your run. Yeah, good advice. And I think a lot of runners are in tune with their bodies and when they start running, they kind of feel, oh, I don't really feel in that rhythm. I don't really feel like like what I usually do, or there's a bit of tightness or a bit of soreness, or maybe a tendons just feels a little bit stiff and doing some mobility work or some gentle loading exercises can definitely get you into that fluent stride a bit sooner. So yeah, great advice there. Let's talk about strength training in relation to injury prevention and what's your stance on that? Yes. So for, again, with the research, there's relatively good research out there to show that it can help prevent injuries with um, regards to endurance athletes. The main thing with the strength training is that there is actually quite a few ways to go wrong about it. And I've, I've had people give themselves injuries because they've overdone the strength training. So it's important to understand that when we say you've got to strength train, it doesn't mean more is better. We all, you don't need massive amounts of strength as a runner. You just need a basic good stability in your body. And with stability, it's not just about your balance and things like that. It's, it's more about your control as well. So for me, strength training is about doing exercise that yes, you get muscle strength from it. But at the same time, if you can get good control through what you're doing and good coordination, then that's extra bang for your buck. Now, the part that runners often get wrong is that they don't realize that as your running volume changes through the year, so too should your strength training volume or intensity. So often I've had people email in and they'll say that oh, I'm busy marathon training and I can feel my tendons getting sore. So I've started strength training now. And you go, oof, that is the worst thing you can actually be doing at this point because you're already overloading your body with the marathon training. So if you now add the load of strength training on that, it's just gonna push it over the edge. So it's all about understanding at what point in your running in the year do you add strength training in and that you actually have to vary that intensity and even the frequency. So if you're really having lots of hard running training, once a week strength training is sometimes enough. Um, whereas if you're doing quite easy runs and you're just ticking over or you've got your base volume going, then twice a week would be more appropriate. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. You mentioned at the start some like control strength exercises to kind of create more bang for your buck. Um, do you have any favorites or if someone isn't injured and just hasn't 
had much experience with strength training, any areas that they can make a start? Yes. So I definitely, I've got my, I'm quite a lazy strength trainer, to be honest. I just like running. So I'm typical. But Appreciate the honesty. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As I'm getting older, my body is forcing me to strength train. So I've come to the conclusion that for myself, what works really well is I can boil it down to three exercises. And if I do those three, I pretty much can keep a good level of balance and control going. Now, you have to do a little bit of work before you can get to these three exercises because you've got to build your base strength and things first. But eventually, if I can get to doing single leg calf raises with some weight that you get tired within about 10 or 12 repetitions, also single leg box squats. Now, that sounds horrendous and difficult, but actually it's just getting from sitting to standing from a chair. But I will tell you that if I haven't done it for a while, I start with a really high chair or load loads of cushions on top of it. I'll have my hand on the wall to stabilize myself. But you'll be amazed. After a few weeks, you start getting that control. It teaches you balance. It gives you really good strength. And when you get to the point where you can do three sets of 10 repetitions of those just to the level of a chair, you've got fair strength in those legs of yours. And then my last one is building up to being able to do about three sets of 10 or 15 single leg high bridges. So you're lying on your back, you've got your heel on a chair and other leg is bent into your chest and you're lifting up and down on one leg several times. But for that one, it's super, super important that you build up by doing first some bridges on the floor, getting your, your control really good with it. Because if you don't do that, people tend to overuse their backs and then they end up with back pain. But if you work it up properly, then it's a brilliant bang for your buck, that one. Okay. Um, so back to the box squats when you're doing a single leg, I guess, sit to stand. Um, I actually posted uh, that exercise a couple of weeks ago and asked people to try their right from their left. And people were so surprised at how hard it was. And how different it was from right to left. Some people are saying I could do 10 on one side and only three on the other side. Um, if someone was to try that, that out themselves, is there a certain height of a chair that might be a good starting point or like how bent the knee should be to, I guess, test, like assess, reassess, um, just to try and keep things consistent? Yes. So I would say your first step, if you're new to squats and you don't really strength train, I would test out double leg ones first. So don't even go, just teach yourself the movement pattern first using two legs. And then if you do decide to go for single leg, I would make that chair quite high. So you're looking for an angle of about um, 45 or 60 degrees in the knees. So two good chunky cushions on top of the, on a sturdy chair. So something like a dining room chair or something like that, that's, that's already at 90 degrees. But then I would also say, so like my partner has one knee that's a little bit iffy and if he hasn't done his strength training for a while that knee gives him trouble so what he tends to do is he just takes a little bit of weight on his hands to start with and guides that movement so don't be don't feel that it's cheating to take weight on your hands at the beginning anything you have to do to get a good movement pattern and see because then that's a test as well if you can do three on your on your uninjured leg or the leg that doesn't have an ache in it and you have to support on the other leg that's already telling you something about your strength and it's something you can work with then because essentially you want to start your strength training at a level that's hard but not too hard and doesn't actually cause you pain so as long as it's pitched at that level you'll you'll get strength gains from it okay and if someone does these three exercises and quickly three sets of 10 become too easy um what would you suggest well there are plenty of ways to make them harder so for the sit to stand you can just load up so i have terrible balance so i tend to put weights in a backpack on my back otherwise i land on the floor um for the single leg high bridge i tend to scoot my bum back so the straighter your knee is the harder the work on your hamstrings but again you have to make sure that you're getting your full height first before you try to make it harder and also if you find that actually you're just not extending very well doing a few isometric bridges where you just go up into that position and really squeeze your bum first can wake your bum muscles up, your glutes up really nicely. And then it becomes much easier. 
Um, but then also you can use an unstable surface, surface like a ball or something like that to place your foot on. And immediately that will make it more difficult. What would you say, um, what I think about when it comes to strength and how strong runners need to be, um, I think about like the demands of say the calf and the quads and the hips during the running action. And during that fast kind of explosive movement, you're looking at, you know, your knees and hips, you know, two to three times your body weight per step, those sort of forces and loads that are quickly accumulated and the calf working, you know, five to six times your body weight, even with low speeds. Um, do you have a certain um, opinion about trying in in the gym or when you are strength training to try and not mimic those loads because, you know, you can't do that in such a, you can't replicate that in the gym with heavy loads, but in terms of just trying to bridge the gap a little bit, is there any, um, is there any aim to try and do that when you're at the gym? That's a very difficult question to answer actually, because it also depends on what else you're doing already in your training week. Um, because I'm sure you've also felt that when you're doing a lot of hard running, your muscles can be so fatigued that even a lightweight can feel really heavy. So I tend to tell people to just work towards repetition max. And if your repetition max today, we want to keep it, and we're talking regular runners here, we're not talking Olympic runners. So we're looking to work to work around a 10 rep max or perhaps an eight rep max if they're really well trained. Um, so as long as you fatigue at that point and you stop before you lose your form, I think they're getting enough benefit from it. Now, if we're talking rehab and especially Achilles rehab, then I'm a lot stricter. Then I tend to really work my runners up to about 10% of their body weight first before we even think of plyometrics. Then we add plyometrics in, but keep on building that strength. And I want to get them to 20% extra of their body weight before we then make the move to running. Um, just because I found that if we get them back earlier than that, they hold for a few weeks and then they just have a relapse. So mm. I'm quite, whereas beforehand, I think I tried to get people back more quickly. I'm now trying to convince people to be a tiny bit more patient for a few more weeks because essentially it shaves months of the rehab or the how long it can linger sometimes later on. Um, so for certain injuries, I have very strict rules. Others, not so much. And to be honest, if we look at the runners we see, you get really strong runners who get injuries, exactly the same as runners who aren't that strong. So strength training is, is one component, but it's definitely not the only thing that's going to stop you from getting injured. Yeah. And I agree there'd be certain protocols for certain types of injuries, but when not injured, if people are thinking about lowering, reducing their risk of injury, your opinion and guidance is around, okay, three sets of eight to 10 rep maximums. And if you are quite strong, then you should be increasing the weight. But if you're finding that quite difficult, then it probably should be closer to that body weight or only a little bit of weight. Yeah, that's, that's my, what, what do you tend to tell people? Um, it depends on their goals. I guess it depends on how much they're running and how fast they are. If they're wanting to do speed work or hill repeats, or if they're, you know, a triathlete that's, you know, working up considerable amount of intensity, um, I would definitely get their weekly routine with the right balance. But when we sprinkle in some strength work, if they're strong enough, I do like to add weight. I'd probably be on more on the side of strength and conditioning, doing double leg stuff like, I'm, I'm a big fan of like doing squats and deadlifts and double leg calf raises and sort of once they can tolerate it, sort of lifting heavier and seeing if that benefits their, their strength training. Um, but if they can't, if they can't do that and their technique is quite poor and their control and balance is quite off, then you'd be reverting back to a lot of the uh, good quality long lever bridges, um, single leg squats, um, wobble board balancing, that sort of stuff. And so uh, I think there's a lot of room to be said for it. Depends on the runner, depends on the amount of strength training experience they have uh, and all those sorts of components. But yeah, maybe the, the answer is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and I, I think it depends on what people have available um, because it's difficult to load people up properly at home when you're doing double leg exercises to get them heavy enough. 
Um, whereas at the gym, it's really easy. I mean, if you tell me somebody's going to the gym, I'll go leg press. I love the leg press. I'll marry a leg press. It's, it's just the easiest and simplest thing. And even Definitely. to do single leg work on that, if you're looking for pure strength and you've got somebody who doesn't have that much control over their body, it's the best thing ever for me to get that strength in. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else to be said about strength training before we move on to area number three? Um, just that you need to think about where you put it in your week. That um, always remember that any training you do in your week will require recovery time to get the body to rebuild itself. So if you're doing a hard running session today, then doing a hard strength training session tomorrow, you can't do a hard session the day after that because you'll likely end up not recovering properly and end up with an injury. So even though strength training is good, it doesn't mean it can just be thrown in anywhere. You've got to think about your whole schedule. Yeah, well said. And just as a reminder to the listeners, uh, you don't get stronger during your heavy workouts and your hard sessions. You get stronger afterwards once you've hit that adequate recovery. So it's all about that build up and then recovery. If you don't have that adequate recovery afterwards, you're not going to get stronger. You're going to overload yourself and get injured. So that balance uh, that fits throughout that weekly schedule is really important. Yes, I, I need to remember that. I think I'm going to plagiarize that somewhere. You don't go get for it. Hey, I didn't come up session. with it. <laughs> yeah, I just borrow it off other people. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. Uh, area number three that we want to cover when it comes to preventing injury is training schedule. And when you did mention this to me beforehand, you did mention the importance of the recovery and why recovery is so important to the, the training schedule. So do you mind just diving into that a little bit and why it's so important for runners? Well, I think you've just summarized it beautifully that huh. when <laughs> you've, you've answered it. It's basically, we've got to remember that any exercise or physical activity we do creates a little bit of micro damage in the body. But now the word micro damage sounds quite alarming and it sounds scary, but it's normal. It's absolutely normal. And this is what we want because the um, substances or the, the chemicals that gets released when that happens is the stuff that stimulates the brain to realize that, ah, those areas of the body needs to be stronger. So now in the period after you've done your training session, it does everything it needs to do to rebuild that area, but it rebuilds it stronger than before. So if you wait the appropriate amount of time before you do another strength training session or running session and you do it then, you get, um, they call it super compensation for cycle basically, that you then get even more benefits from it. So it's this constant buildup. But like you've just mentioned, if you train before you've gone through that whole cycle of recovery, actually what happens is you train before all the, all the micro damage has repaired. So now this accumulates over a few sessions. And that's how we end up with overuse injuries like Achilles tendinopathy um, or you name it. Most of the overuse injuries we get. It's when you don't allow that proper recovery time. Now, of course, yes, some injuries happen suddenly that the overload happens in one session. If your session is just way too much that it exceeds what your tissue can do currently, the capacity of the tissue. Um, but especially for distance runners, it's usually a slow buildup. And if you look at the schedule over the last few months, you may see that, ah, yeah, I got carried away with two, wanting to improve my park run time every single Saturday, wanting to do too many long races because I, I was on that runner's high. And you can usually see where the wheels came off with regards to that. Yeah, I see a very common characteristic when people are feeling good. They get slightly faster, only like, you know, five, 10 seconds faster per kilometer, but they do it for every kilometer within the week. <laughs> exactly. And it's only just because they're feeling good and it's that slight little bit. But what you're saying is if you do a certain workout and then you recover, um, sometimes people don't totally recover. Sometimes there's a little bit of a, a deficit there and then they feel good, but just not back to 100%. And then they train again and that 10% deficit, if that recovery is that little bit lacking again, you know, sort of builds up over time. That accumulation of fatigue would, would slightly slowly start to build up over time. Is that right? Yes. And you know what? Um, there's a very easy method that you can build into your running routine or your plan over several weeks that can help you 
even if you do overstep the mark on a few occasions, because it's not one or two occasions that you overtrain like that that's going to cause trouble. It's if you do it consistently. So something that's come out in the strength training research is that they've um, figured out that if you have a deload week every third or fourth week where you, um, ah, what's the word now? You, you purposefully reduce your load during that week just to allow yourself active recovery. So you don't rest fully, you just reduce the load that the body can recover and then you build again. And recently I've been advising people to do that in their running and I think there's a lot of people actually out there advising that type of style. Now, depending on your program, depending on where you're at, you may need it more or need it less. But definitely for myself and my partner as well, we found that that really helps us to also get over our runner's high because we also, you know, that thing that you've just said, oh, I'm, I'm 10 seconds faster per kilometer. It feels as if I'm, you can get carried away with that. But this mm. program, if you have a program, if you've got a plan and this week is an easy week, then you just need to stick with that easy week and not do workouts that's harder than what you should be doing. And you'll recover, be ready and faster the next week. Yeah. And I've, done a previous episode with Jason Fitzgerald about deload weeks and you know the purpose of it as well as the taper we did a taper and deload week kind of episode and exactly what you say we, we sort of look session by session you kind of want to have this stimulus and stimulate the tendons the muscles everything to sort of get stronger but then you need the recovery on the back end so that's like a a, a cycle per session but then if you look back over like a macro over several months you kind of have this long-term trend of ad adaptation building up fatigue and recovery that sort of needs to come off the back end and that's where that deload week can sort of have those phases over a bit of a grander scale and i often get runners saying well how often should i do a recovery week um, because everyone's training intensities and volumes and how far away a race is like everyone's training phases are different and so i usually like to advise them listen to your body like some people don't listen to it some people don't know how to listen to it but <laughs> if they do and they are in tune um there might be some signs that a recovery week is needed um so do you have any advice on if someone is going through any phase of their training cycle um some early signs that they maybe are in need of just having that deload for about five to seven days before they get back into training Yes. So one of the most common things that when people are on the verge of overtraining or they come in with an injury that, you know, you can see, oh, this is the start of an overuse injury, is that they'll report that the sentence they use usually is, I don't know what's going on. I've been ro foam rolling my muscles and I've been stretching then. I've go been going for massages, but they just remain tight. And then you go, yeah. They're tight because they're actually really unhappy with you because you are hammering them. <laughs> um, if, you, if you're just feeling uncomfortable all the time, and I'm not talking, you know, when you do a hard session, the next morning you wake up and you can feel, oh, I've worked. That feeling shouldn't be there 24-7. It should get better at some point and not feel like that after you've done easy runs and things. So if you're feeling that you're constantly overly tight and needing to foam roll, needing to go for massages, it's likely that you may have to look at your training sessions and adapt something in your program. Um, I don't know, what's what's the clearest signs for you? Because I mean, there's, there's all the things of, yes, feeling constantly tired and not sleeping well. Um, but what do you find people report for you? I'd 100% agree with uh, that constant muscle tightness, soreness. Uh, people are like, oh, I'm so tight, but I'm stretching all the time. And the interpretation of that can, you know, flip the switch if you say it's not, tight as in it's not physically getting tighter it's just sore it's sore because you've been training and you haven't had that adequate recovery or there's been that like we discussed that accumulation of fatigue and that's why it's sore and sometimes soreness and tightness is okay but it should only be for one or two days after a heavy bout of exercise it shouldn't persist for the majority of a week and then into you know several weeks that there's definitely something there's an imbalance between training and recovery in those sort of scenarios. Um, yes, you, you did mention that lack of sleep. I think mentally just the vigor or like the how much energy you have. Do you want to train? Are you waking up out of bed feeling a bit more energetic or is 
the the unusual, I guess, sense of lacking the intensity or lacking the energy to train. I think that's probably not only on the physical side of things, but the mental side of things to say, you know what, maybe I need to back off a little bit and spend some time off doing some other things, doing some cross training or not really paying too much focus and attention to running. Um, I think those signs are things, but can I ask as well, like if, is there any other training mistakes? Like we're still on the, the topic of your training schedule to reduce your risk of injury. And we've talked a lot about the balance between, you know, training, recovery, recovery weeks, that sort of thing. Are there any other mistakes that runners should be aware of? Okay. So if we think of the, the thing that jumped into my head, and I don't know if this is exactly what you were thinking about, but something that we underestimate sometimes is the influence that emotional stress and just work stress has on the body. So mm. we're quick to think about training and fatigue from training. But actually what the research is showing is that if you're mentally fatigued, that counts towards your general fatigue. And you can actually end up overworking your body just because you're training too hard when you're already fatigued in that way. And it's it's something to do with, I've, I've read it, but it's it's got loads of hormones in it and I never remember the hormone names. But <laughs> basically it comes down to that you secrete the same type of stress hormones when you train really hard as when you stress. So these are brilliant hormones in the short term because they allow your body to get stronger and all the things you want. But if they heighten for too long, you get an opposite effect. So essentially what they are suggesting is that if your workload and your stress through work is really, really hard, perhaps it's not the time to be really hammering your training and putting yourself under a lot of pressure to perform that way. Perhaps it's the time to train to enjoy and just do workouts that you feel is good for you. Because if a workout makes you feel kind of as if you're losing all, you know, there's there's no enthusiasm to go and do it, then it's likely not the right one to do at that stage. Mm. I talked to, oh, probably more than a year ago now, um, Dr. Izzy Smith, who talked about the role of a stress cup that you have in your body. And the stress cup can be exercise-based, like when you start a bout of exercise, you know, hormones are released, mainly talk about cortisol and noradrenaline, that sort of stuff. But those prime you for exercise and you obviously can't hit recovery mode when you're in exercise mode. You can't do the two things at the same time because those hormones that release for exercise actually inhibit the recovery ones. And when you then finish your bout of exercise and then go to a stressful job or you've got family dramas at home or you've just been like mentally stressed, those same hormones still stay elevated. And so you can't empty the contents within your stress cup. You just keep building up that contents because there's no recovery mode to empty it out. Um, good sleep, um, really unwinding, that starts to slowly chip away the contents within that stress cup. But if you are stressed and then you have inadequate sleep, You've still got a lot of stress within that stress cup. And then tomorrow you go and exercise again, builds upon that, that contents. Then once that starts overflowing, that's prime for injury territory. And so just jumping on that idea, I think it's really important that runners need to understand it's not just running, it's your lifestyle that, you know, plays a key factor. And I've only, I've done some recent episodes on diet, nutrition, inflammatory diets, and that sort of stuff for people to recognize, you know, if you want to thrive and reduce your risk of injury, you kind of need to look holistically at the whole entire body and your whole entire routine. Absolutely. I mean, I remember feeling a bit like an idiot a few years back when I went to a conference. And at that point, everybody was just talking about the female triad or however you say it of, if you don't get enough energy in, um, as a female, you stop menstruating and then it's been shown to affect your bone health because of your hormone level dropped. And I remember putting my hand up and saying to the guy speaking, but what happens to men when they don't eat much? And he looked at me as if I was an alien. <laughs> it's like men don't menstruate. I'm like, yes, I know they don't menstruate, but they have hormones. <laughs> what happens to them? Good question. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, I left with a red face because I'm obviously an idiot. And then a couple of years later, boom, the research comes out and shows that actually same thing happens in men. But guess what? We didn't notice it because they don't have menstruation cycles that stop. 
Um, so yeah, nutrition is super, super important. I'm actually, I just made a mental note to go listen to that podcast about the inflammatory diets, because that mm. must be one of the things that people speak about so much. Um, and except for the fact that I know the obvious things like sugar and alcohol, I'm not really that up to date with all of it. So that would be an interesting one to listen to. I'll send you the link. Um, is there anything else, any other final tips in regards to injury prevention um, before we wrap up? Um, you know what? For me, one of the most, well, there are two things. One is something you've got to do and the other thing is something you've got to understand. So the first thing to understand with injury prevention for me is to just understand the, the concept of load on the body. And how our bodies are amazing at, I mean, you've just got to check at, or look at the endurance athletes and the guys picking up things like trucks to understand that actually, if you train the body hard and or cleverly, it can do amazing things. But if you increase the load too quickly or you don't give it enough time to recover, then you run into trouble with it. So that leads into my second thing for injury prevention is that you have to take care of um, your program, that you actually plan things out. Now, if you're a recreational runner who just does a 5K two, three times a week and don't really care about fast times, it's less important. But if you've got any goals that you want to achieve, then you have to actually plan it out and make sure that you have your deload weeks, that you have your harder weeks, that you have your easy weeks, because that's the best way to prevent injuries. Well said. Um, and coming back to the app that you have, what is the typical like experience? What would people expect if they're injured or if they're not injured, um, to get benefit out of this app? Okay. So when I designed the app, I had, well, I say, I, it's a whole team of people, but I'm the physio <laughs> bit of it. So what I, what I knew from all the questions that people ask me is always that, People know they should strength train. They need, know they should do exercise, but they don't know what to start with. They also don't know how many repetitions to do. They don't know when to progress. And everybody's forever telling you that, especially for rehab as well, you have to do progressive exercises. So I wanted to provide people with a app or a device that can tell them, listen, this is where you start. Ah, you tick this box. This is the target you work towards. Then you're ready to move on to the next step. If you experience this, you need to decrease a little bit. If you experience this, you're good, good to go. So that it takes that guesswork out of it, but it also all the time makes people aware that they need to listen to their bodies and they need to be sensible with how they increase things. So you get targets to work towards, but you shouldn't try and reach them within a week because our bodies need time to adjust. So from both the injury prevention perspective as well as the injury treatment perspective, um, I've tried to be really clear that we try and make it that people know exactly where they stand and how to react depending on what they experience with it. Okay. And so they might have an injury prevention sort of plan or an injury rehabilitation plan and set the goals. And then along that journey, you're sort of asking or prompting sort of like follow-up question to say, how hard was that? What was your pain? You know, how are you... How are you feeling? And then it's making those necessary adjustments. Yes. So teaching people about understanding. So if we think of a rehab point of view, um, monitoring pain, not being worried too much about it, because we know that pain is part of the normal cycle of it, but understanding what levels are okay to work with. When is it a sign that actually the next session we've got to make a bit easier and asking those questions at the right time so that the workouts can adjust to it. And for the rehab, same thing. If you feel that, no, I think I can go to the next stage, there are specific questions that's being asked and tasks that's being set for you that you understand when you're ready to go. Okay. A few other questions. One, what's the app called? Two, oh. where can people get it? And three, um, is there any um, like free trial, paid structure? What's what's involved uh, with the, the payment side of things? Yes. So... It's called the Exact Health app, and Exact is spelled in the German way, but I think if you find it in the English way as well, so E-X-A-K-T, um, 
It's on the App Store, um, also and the Android Store. And at the moment, it's all free to use. So if you download and use it at the moment, you'll have it for free and you'll also stay on the free plan. Later on, there will be paid plans introduced. But yes, for the moment, absolutely everything for free. And I have it that the injury prevention plan will be staying for free. It's the rehab plans that eventually will become paid, paid plans. Um, but yes, the app is available in Europe, the UK, as well as in the USA now. If you're in other countries, you can always submit to them and say, Hoi, I'm in this country, I also want to be using it. And um, depending on how many requests the company gets, they prioritize different um, areas. The main reason it's not available everywhere is that we have to go through stringent rules and regulations to get it registered in different company, uh, different countries. Okay, good to know. Um, thanks for giving that update. And I do have links to that app, which I'll include in the show notes as well. So, uh, but like you said, um, it's available in the app stores everywhere in the countries that it is available. Thank you very much. Uh, well done for the, the app. It's a monstrous undertaking. And I've had a look through the design. It's very sleek, very clean, very easy to, to follow through. And so well done for creating it. And once again, thanks for coming on and sharing all this crucial information on injury prevention. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's always fun. I always learn something from you. So thank you. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.